enjoy your leading song service so much. Thank you. <clears throat>
Jonas, where's Jonas at? Come up here, Jonas. All right. We're not going to take Jonas unaware. I think he's, he's not aware that he has the scripture reading this morning. So I'm going to be deputizing for him this morning. All right, we'll catch you on the next one, Jonas. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of John. It's in John chapter 10, and I'm going to be reading verse 29 in your hearing. And it reads thus, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. May God add his richest blessings and reading to his word. And may God... As you listen to the sermon this morning that Brandt is going to bring, I pray that you will say a silent prayer on behalf of this young man who has decided to speak a word on God's behalf. May you all be blessed as you listen this morning. Happy Sabbath, church. Just bow our heads one more time. Uh, Father in heaven, I thank you for bringing me this far. You know I am incapable of any good thing, so I pray that you would take my words and cause them to be a blessing to someone here today. Amen. So something that I've recently become amazed with are the parallels and cross-references in the Bible. Now there's 63,779 cross-references in the Bible, which would be impressive enough if it was written by one person. But the Bible was written over a period of 1,400 years and by nearly 40 different authors. And even with all these different authors, the Bible never contradicts itself. It only builds and strengthens this growing narrative that connects the entire book. Something of particular interest to me has been biblical types. And typology is basically symbolism, where one event or concept refers to another event or person or concept later on in the Bible. These kind of seem to connect people and stories. One example would be the tabernacle. It's a type for the redemption process, and it shows the steps that Jesus took. And it can also be types of people. Abraham, Hosea, Joseph, they're all types of Christ. And their stories and their lives show different aspects of Christ's character. I'm going to focus on one person today that I believe really sheds light on our current situation and our current relationship with God. So, as part of a Bible project about a month ago, I was reading through John chapter 10. And all throughout the chapter, the analogy of Jesus as a shepherd is built up and built up, and it really got me thinking about other shepherds in the Bible. One of the most prominent is David. Now, initially, this seemed cool to me, that there's that connection between Old and New Testament. But as I got thinking about it more and more, there was more and more similarity between their stories than I really thought there was. And the Holy Spirit kept showing me things. I just had this overwhelming joy to share what I'd found because it was so, so cool to me. So I shared it with my mom. I shared it with my dean. And they thought that was cool. And my mom decided, hey, you should give a sermon on this. <laughs> and I said, how about, no, I don't really want to. I don't like getting up at front. And uh, I got thinking about it. I was like, well, I'm only home about once a month. So the likelihood of a sermon slot actually being open on the week that I'm home is slim. So I told her, sure, you can talk to Sister Grace, and if there happens to be a slot open, I'll do it. 
She called me back a little bit later, and that was one of the last slots she had open. Okay, God, we're doing this apparently. And with schoolwork and my social obligations there, I couldn't find time to work on it. It was loud in the dorm, and I thought I had three weeks. I can get this done, and I got halfway done by about last Wednesday, and Thursday rolled around. I'm like, oh, dear, this is... I don't know where this is going. I don't know how to end this. And I was panicking and anxious, just praying, God, the only way this is going to get done is if you do something about it. And thankfully he did. And even now, I don't know where this is going, but I I pray that he's going to take this in the right direction. So reading in John 10, the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And it made me wonder why. Chapter 5, 36. Start over again. John 5, 36 says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. So Jesus has this testimony of the Father, supernatural works, he's a kind person, and even with all that, the Pharisees still refuse to believe that he is their Messiah. And I'm thinking, they didn't believe because their idea of the Messiah was way different than what Jesus was. Jesus was coming as a shepherd, and he made that very clear. He also made it very clear that he was the Messiah, but the Jews were looking for a warrior to free them from the Romans. And that starts to connect into David's story. In Samuel's day, the Israelites were looking for a strong king. They weren't content with having God as their only ruler. They wanted someone who could lead them into battle and be right there with them. God was hesitant to do this. He knew it wasn't a good idea. But he relented said, okay, I'll give you a king. And he gave them Saul. Saul was tall and strong. And it seemed to be that he was exactly what Israel wanted, a warrior king. And at first, he was a great king. He followed God's command. But over time, he began to make decisions that weren't in line with God's plan. And over time, he became, came into direct communion with the devil. So God anointed a new king. This was David. David was just a shepherd, but he knew that's what Israel needed, a humble shepherd. So it continued on, and eventually, David spent some time in obscurity. He was anointed king, but no one really knew about him. Then he came to a battlefield where the Israelites and the Philistines were facing off. He was coming to visit his brothers. This was the battle where he faced Goliath and defeated him through God's help. After this, David began to serve Saul as a commander in the Israelite army. And he won even greater fame and glory in all of the battles with God's help. And he became very influential with the people. The people loved him. And this made Saul very, very jealous. So he decided he was going to send David into very dangerous situations and hope that he would die in battle. This didn't work because God was protecting him. And that scared Saul. So Saul decided that he was going to try and kill David outright. He labeled David as a criminal and a traitor and said that all of Israel needed to hunt him down. So David fled to the wilderness. The priest Nob helped him along the way, but they paid a price for that. Every single man except for Abiathar was killed in that town. So David ran into the wilderness and hid. And over time, a small rebel band grew around David. 
For most of the period in the wilderness, David was constantly on the run. He had Saul always pursuing him. Saul seemed to be driven mad with the thought that David would be king because he knew that David had God's spirit. And even with all that, David had the chance to force himself onto the throne. There were multiple times when he could have taken Saul's life, but he decided to wait, and he'd wait for God's timing. This temptation must have been really, really strong because of how much pain and suffering David was feeling. But he said, no, I'll wait. And eventually Saul died at the hands of the Philistines, and David did come into power. But it was a while after Saul died. He waited for God's plan, and he became a very, very strong and righteous king. Granted, he was human and made mistakes, but he's a man after God's own heart. Now, just like the Israelites in Saul's day, the Jews were looking for a king. God was looking to save them from an empire that was much greater and more terrible than the Roman Empire. And he knew to save them from that empire, he had to give them a shepherd, that a conquering king would not do the job. But they didn't believe that. They believed what they really needed was someone to save them from uh, a more visible threat. So Jesus came and he died. And through his death, he took the kingship of this world. He wasn't the ruling king, but he was the anointed king. He was the rightful king of this planet. But he hadn't taken the throne yet, and it'll be some time before he comes back to take that throne. It can seem like Jesus is taking a long time to come. I mean, it's been 2,000 years since he left. Where is he? Things are getting bad. Really, really bad. It's been discouraging, but then I remember the chances that David had to take Saul's life. You know, that... Jesus has those same opportunities. He could come anytime he wanted and take the throne, but he's waiting. He's waiting for us. He wants as many of us to be saved as can be. And he's also waiting that there might be no doubt in anyone's mind that in the end he was right. His way is just. But the part of the parallel that I think really applies to us today is in the wilderness and that rebel band that formed around David. Now, we are surrounded by an earthly kingdom we're not of it. We know John 26, or John 10, 26 and 27. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There he says there's very clearly two groups. There's those who hear my voice and they're willing to follow, and those who don't. And we're willing to follow Jesus' voice. But because we're willing to follow and pledge our allegiance to Jesus, the world is going to hate us. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There is a jealous king of this planet, and he hates us because we follow Jesus. And he knows that we are the only way that he can get to Jesus and hurt him, so he's going to put his full fury against us in the hopes of drawing us away out of the rebel band and back into the world. There's going to be an immense time of trouble where a lot of innocent people are going to be killed. Now, Jesus' disciples 
all of them but one, just John, faced unnatural deaths and violent deaths at that. They paid a high price for following Jesus. They met a fate similar to the priests of Nob. The priests of Nob were killed for helping David. There are many of us who will be killed for helping Jesus. Things are going to get really, really hard. But Jesus knew this would happen, so he warned us. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We've got to follow our command, the command of our king. Right now, things are comfortable for us. I mean, we know if we're going to have food. We don't have to worry about where that's coming from. We don't have to worry if there's going to be heat or electricity. We don't have to worry if our homes are going to be invaded. Things are safe and comfortable right now. But that's going to change. There will be a time when we don't have those luxuries. Where the world says, you're not part of me. You serve someone else, so I'm going to persecute you. Those are just signs. The things that are happening right now are signs that that final battle is coming. The unrest in our nation, COVID, those are all signs. A harder time is coming, so be on your guard. Be ready. The time of trouble will be the hardest thing we'll ever go through, but with Jesus' strength, his protection, and his love, we will endure. And that's when it gets really, really awesome. We are united with Jesus, our King, and with the loved ones that we've lost along the way. And then we get to go to heaven, and we spend a thousand years reviewing the righteousness and the justice of our King. And then Jesus takes us back, and he comes to this planet. There's that final showdown, and then he recreates. And he makes this planet better than new. I can't wait for that moment when my king returns to this planet. He's never going to leave us again. Over many years, David changed from a shepherd to a mighty king. And Jesus came to this earth as a shepherd. But when he comes again, he'll be a mighty, glorified king, the high king of heaven, who conquered sin and death and darkness and reestablished the kingdom of light and love over the universe. And I want so much to be there, to enjoy that moment. And I know that Jesus wants each and every one of us to be there, enjoying that moment with him. So won't you join the King's Rebel Band and spread the word of his soon return? You don't have to go far to fight. It can be your coworker, your classmates, or the person next to you in line. There are opportunities all around us to fight against the king of this world, and tell everybody who our true king is. Amen. Our heads and then we'll leave. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for getting me through this. And I pray that you be with each and every one of us. Give us the strength to endure the hard times that are coming. Also guide us to prepare through their nation, through this next week, with the elections, and through this pandemic. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 610.